Good afternoon. This is Greg Lois. Uh, today is February 22. It is currently lightly snowing in New York City. I hope it's a lot warmer and nicer wherever you are. Uh, and thanks for joining me today. Today we're going to be talking about appeals and reopeners in New Jersey. And really, one of these things is more important than the other. I think reopeners are a much bigger issue in New Jersey than appeals. So I'm going to talk a lot about reopeners and I'm going to talk about appeals very briefly. So thanks for joining in today. Uh, we're going to talk about what is a reopener? Greg, why do I get so many of these things? Uh, what are some practical strategies to avoid getting these reopeners? How can I resolve them quicker? And statistically, Greg, how should I be resolving reopeners? So uh, thanks for joining today. It's going to be a fun and pretty quick presentation, really, because uh, again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on appeals. I am going to spend as much time as we can on reopeners. I think it's the more important uh, part of New Jersey post-judgment or post-trial practice to be focusing on. Uh, so thanks for joining us. This is completely and totally live. I'm happy you're here. I always go over how you ask a question. You type it in uh, on your GoToWebinar panel there that should be in front of you. I will read as many of the questions out loud as I get. I will say the first name only of the person whose question I'm answering. I read the question aloud so everyone else can hear the um, question that I'm responding to. Uh, and I really hope there are a lot of questions because it makes it a lot more fun. Um, I'm hoping everyone out there who's listening or watching, if you're watching this live, uh, has a copy of our New Jersey 2021 handbook at this point. Please know we also have 2021 handbooks for New York. Uh, we have a construction defense handbook, and that is very useful for those of you who are uh, defending construction project claims. And of course, we have our Longshore handbook. Now, in 2021, uh, if you didn't get a copy, a physical copy in the mail, um, you can go and download that immediately from our website, loislc.com slash publications. And you can see you can just instantly download any one of our handbooks in a PDF format. Now, I like the written copy, right? Because uh, such a great uh, thing. I know everyone wants to read about New Jersey workers' compensation law right before you go to bed at night. I mean, nothing will put you to sleep uh, easier than reading these handbooks. Uh, but the digital copy is also pretty useful because you can do control F in the PDF and find pretty much your answers to anything. Um, just talking very quickly about what's new in our New Jersey handbook. Uh, this year we have unfortunately had to put in a new chapter on COVID-19 claims and strategies for defending them. And of course, taking into account that New Jersey has a presumption for COVID-19 cases. Uh, we've also added a lot of sections on case law on uh, medical provider claims and case law on successive exposure claims, uh, which are becoming more and more prevalent. Now, um, if you have the handbook, uh, again, I think the most important pages in this handbook are uh, the end where we have our cheat sheets uh, that begins on page 207 and goes through pages uh, 213. And that's going to give you your sort of what, when do I have to file and what do I have to file? What are the deadlines, Greg? Um, what are the payer rules, Greg? Where's the schedule of disabilities? And what are the benefit rates by year? So that's kind of the most important stuff. I know people skip right to the back. Um, but I also like to point out to people that probably the most important page is the very first page because it has my phone number uh, on there. 
Um, please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about New Jersey workers' compensation law. We have an amazing team here at Lois. We have four dedicated attorneys, and all they do is handle New Jersey workers' comp claim. We have regular days in every hearing point, and we are doing this day in and day out. So um, if you don't have a copy of the handbook and you want a physical copy, hey, just let me know, and we'll send one right out to you, uh, and you can download your digital copy immediately. Uh, one other just comment about the handbook. If you notice, this year it got a little thinner. Uh, than prior years. Uh, it's not because we use smaller type, it's because we threw out a lot of stuff that's not really useful or not very important. And we tried to really focus on the topics that we see the most. So I hope everyone has a copy of that. If you don't, please let me know, we'll get it right out to you. I also just want to remind people about our monthly webinar schedule. The first, we, our webinars are always on a Monday. So the first Monday of the month is our construction defense webinar that's led by my partner, Tashia Razul who runs our construction defense team here. Second Monday of the month is our risk transfer webinar, and that's led by Chris Major, and he does all the subro, uh, first party and third party defense, all the things that we're doing here to recover reimbursement for our clients. Third Monday of the month is our New York webinar, which is so well attended. We have multiple sessions of that on Mondays. Uh, and this is the fourth Monday of the month. I know it's only February 22nd, but this is it. This is the last Monday of the month, and we're gonna be talking about uh, New Jersey Workers Comp today. So thanks for joining us. First, let's talk quickly about appeals, and I'm going to focus the remainder of my time today on uh, reopeners. What can we appeal? And the answer is you can appeal any final decision in New Jersey, and particularly those decisions in which money is going to be moving or changing hands. So any judgment where um, there's an award moving, uh, there's a payment that has to be made, uh, even the providence of medical treatment, that can all be appealed. Um, some appeals will be considered interlocutory if they're not final. What does that mean? It really means no money's moving, no money's changing hands. You can appeal the decision, uh, any order you receive, and even decisions on motions for medical and temporary disability benefits. So don't forget about that. You can't appeal things you can consent to, and this is especially important in New Jersey. Uh, so many times clients come to us and they say, Greg, I had a defense counsel and they did this silly hearted thing and now I want to appeal the decision I got. And I said, well, yeah, great, sure, we can handle that for you. We have an appeal writing group over here, no problem writing this appeal for you. And then we look into the record and we realize, well, your attorney actually consented to this stuff or uh, didn't specifically raise an objection. And now uh, the new appellate requirements indicate that we have to point out to the place in the record where the defense attorney or, or the respondent party actually said, I object to this judge because we've got to create this record uh, that the appellate division will then look back at. Okay, so uh, this is a new uh, thing. Uh, they changed the rules about three years ago. It used to be you could kind of appeal anything. You didn't have to point to any specific objection you made. And that was especially useful uh, for bringing appeals that were on misapplications of the law or a misconstruence of the facts or something. Well, now we've got to point out exactly the place in the transcript with the page uh, reference where we objected to this. And so it's very important now in New Jersey uh, to make sure that we are registering objections and that defense counsel is making them. But once you've done that, now you're ready and you can appeal. Where do appeals go? Uh, they go to New Jersey's appellate division. So the, an appeal from the workers' compensation law judge's order or judgment or decision goes immediately into the civil court. You go to the appellate division and you follow the appellate division rules. The appeals take a little bit of time. And statistically, only a tiny percentage of cases get appealed in New Jersey. And the reason for that is because there are other avenues to fix something that goes wrong in a trial. First, you can do a motion for reconsideration. You could say, judge, I know this was your decision, but did you consider this? 
uh, and so you can immediately move for a reconsideration. If that fails, you still have that opportunity to appeal. But the other reason is uh, very few appeals are successful in obtaining either a reversal, a rescission, or a remand for an administrative correction. In fact, it's probably less than one or two percent of cases on appeal that actually get reversed. Um, in the given year in New Jersey, there might be seven or eight or nine uh, appellate level or Supreme Court level decisions uh, in which uh, case law is clarified or a reversal is obtained. Now, we've been pretty successful here in obtaining them, uh, but uh, it really is a low probability, uh, relatively high cost maneuver in New Jersey workers' compensation cases. In fact, you don't, in general, get a stay when you're appealing something in New Jersey. In other words, you can say uh, you can lose a trial and the judge can award, for example, permanent total disability. You start making those payments. Now, you can move for a stay, but it's almost never going to be granted. So, you know, we tell clients that if you're appealing in New Jersey, it should be for strategic reasons. Either you think there is a very significant error of law, uh, there is a significant uh, error in statutory construction or application, or you believe there's been a due process um, offense that needs to be rectified by the appellate division. In general, we do not recommend tactical appeals. And, you know, in other jurisdictions, we do do a lot of tactical appealing, for example, in New York, because you get a stay, which means you stop paying or you stop providing that medical care, and the whole case kind of comes to a stop while you wait for that appeal decision to come in. In New Jersey, that does not happen, and for that reason, appeals in New Jersey are generally strategic. You think that this appeal is going to either result in a uh, complete reversal of the judge based on a legal ground, or you're going to get a statute uh, interpreted favorably to your position. And again, that's relatively rare. So these are relatively low probability uh, chance of success and relatively rare frequency in terms of the number of appeals that are filed. All right. Um, what kind of things can be appealed and what kind of case closures uh, can be taken up to the appellate division? Well, first, in general, Section 20s, which are lump sum dismissals, that's an order approving a settlement, uh, generally cannot be appealed because you are agreeing to, you are consenting to some type of resolution of the case. So in general, those are not going to be appealed. Uh, Section 22, order approving settlements. And those are the more uh, common. Uh, about a third of cases go by way of Section 20. About a third of cases in New Jersey statistically are resolved by way of Section 22. That's you accepting exposure, liability, and responsibility for either permanent residual disability or ongoing medical care. Those cases are subject to reopener in the workers' compensation courts, and in general, they are not subject to an appeal. Uh, any judicial order, though, is generally subject to an appeal. Uh, with rare exception, um, cases, uh, decisions of a, law, a workers' compensation law judge can be appealed. Uh, the only exception is really interlocutory decisions. So these would be decisions perhaps leading up to a trial uh, in which the judge is saying to you, uh, you can bring in three witnesses, Greg, but you can't bring in four. And we get annoyed with that because I really want to bring in four witnesses. And my client will say to me, great, let's appeal that. And I go, well, you can appeal it, but the appellate division is not going to really hear that decision because they're going to say it's interlocutory. All issues in the case have not been resolved or any money's moving. And so for that reason, they're going to wait for the judgment to result. And then we'll have an appeal based on the lack of due process. Hey, the judge limited the proofs I could bring in court. And for that reason, uh, this should be appealable. So, in general, almost any decision of a workers' compensation law judge that's final can be appealed. 
Uh, the exception to that are these interlocutory decisions, maybe those that are limiting witnesses or documents, maybe limiting subpoena power, or that don't affect the overall outcome of the case. So uh, in general, that's appeals. Again, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on appeals because they're really relatively rare. What's not rare, unfortunately, is reopeners. So under New Jersey Section 27, the petitioner has the opportunity to reopen any case uh, for any reason as long as they can show a material change in their condition and they have to show material worsening. So uh, those Section 22 settlements, order approving settlements they're often called, can be reopened by the petitioner and they have this burden. Uh, they have to show uh, that they have materially worsened and they have two years from the last date of payment. Uh, and that could be either the provenance or providing them medical care or paying them indemnity benefits, which could be temporary disability benefits, more typically permanent residual disability benefits. Uh, reminder at this point, this is a live presentation, so please feel free to ask me questions. How is a reopener brought to the court? Well, of course, they have a special form. Uh, it's called an application to modify or review a uh, decision or a, a prior judgment. Uh, it's a form that's completed. It is filed electronically. What do you do when one of those is uh, filed? In almost every instance, we tell our clients, uh, look, the burden is on the petitioner. The petitioner has to show a material worsening or change in their condition. And so because the burden's on them, in general, our recommendation is those should almost always be controverted or disputed, generally should not be accepted. Uh, so discovery is allowed in these cases. And this is formal discovery. In fact, uh, the New Jersey Division of Workers' Compensation has promulgated or provided a set of form interrogatories. What's an interrogatory? It's just a set of questions that they have to respond to. The most important question that they're going to have to respond to is question number 13, which asks, uh, in which way um, have you gotten more medical care and how has your condition changed? Oftentimes, the person will just say, well, it feels worse. Or they'll just say, to be provided. Or they'll say, uh, medical port to be supplied. Uh, that's not good enough, right? So we'll argue, hey, judge, them just coming forward and saying, well, it's been a couple of years, I want more money, is not a good enough reason or basis for a workers' compensation reopener. Oftentimes, the only basis for the reopener is that the petitioner's attorney sent them a little note in the mail and said, Hello, wonderful petitioner. It's been a couple of years since you got your award. Would you like me to send you back to the IME physician that I previously sent you to, meaning the plaintiff's expert, and have them reevaluate you and see if they find that you have a need for either further care or that your condition is worsened? Well, guess what? Every time somebody gets sent back to the plaintiff's expert, they find that the person would benefit from more care and that their condition has worsened, okay? And that becomes the basis of this reopener claim. They're often quite flimsy and extremely shallow claims, and that's why they should be disputed. We also have the opportunity to send them back to our evaluating physician. So we recommend in general uh, that after the discovery has been returned to us, in other words, after we've gone to our adversary and said, hey, I've served you with the formal discovery, I need a copy of every and uh, all new medical treatment that you've obtained and new medical opinions. And by the way, it's usually a goose egg or at best an opinion from their uh, paid hired expert that says they need more care or that their condition is worsened. Our turnaround is generally to say, okay, let's get a new IME, our own independent medical expert. And who do we send them to typically? In general, 
uh, my advice is to send them back to the independent medical evaluator who previously evaluated them on our behalf when we resolved the underlying claim. Uh, again, you don't have to just go that way. You can demand that the uh, petitioner come into court and testify about how their condition has changed, right? And we're going to compare uh, their testimony to the testimony that they provided in furtherance of their previous settlement. So you really should be in good position on most reopeners to challenge the nature and extent of any additional disability or the nature and demand for any additional care. Uh, we should have enough discovery. We should have enough opinions from our medical experts to be able to dispute this. And you have the right to a trial on this, although they're very, very rare to have a trial on a reopener. And that's because most of them are going to resolve by way of a lump sum dismissal at the time of the reopener. And that's really the goal of the claimant, right? They're, in general, they're not interested in actually getting more care or going back and relitigating the degree and nature of permanent residual disability. Really, all they care about is, hey, okay, it's, I, it's been a couple of years. Now it's time for you to pay me again. This time I'll do a lump sum dismissal. We steer all of ours towards a lump sum dismissal, and that should be your practical uh, approach as well. Because if you don't, they're just going to keep coming back over and over and over and over again because it becomes like a well that they can keep returning to. This can be a challenge when the petitioner continues to work for the insured or for the self-insured entity. In other words, they still work for you. You resolve the workers' compensation claim for them. Uh, they've now come back to work and they're either working the same job or maybe a new job or maybe with modified duties. And a couple of years go by and they just bring a reopener claim and say, yeah, my condition's worsened. Uh, they don't actually have to demonstrate any impact on their working ability. They can just say their activities of daily living have become more impaired, uh, which is very, very hard to challenge and very annoying and uh, to have to deal with, but it is possible. Uh, and at that moment, we're generally counseling clients, hey, this is time to get a resignation and a release and also on the one hand, and then a lump sum Section 20 dismissal on the other, and we've been successful with that. All right. How do we avoid reopeners and what's the best way? So I, I'm going to give you a couple different tactics that should be used. The first is um, when you settle or resolve a case, uh, the underlying case, the, the uh, original accident, in New Jersey, the standard is both sides get what are called independent medical exams. But really, it's a defense medical exam and really it's the petitioner's medical exam. And these are generally speaking uh, the, the two uh, anchors uh, that are going to be weighed and considered by the workers' compensation judge in determining the nature and extent of permanent residual disability. Well, our experience has been that the petitioner's independent medical exam is over the top. I mean, it is, everybody is, it's a miracle, you know, this person who sprained their ankle two years ago, it's just a miracle they can even walk in here, and they were using a walker, and they tell me they can't, you know, jog anymore, and they can't play the piano, and all sorts of things like that. So, they're very over the top and they support these very high findings, you know. Um, you know, our kind of joke around here is that uh, the defense medical exam is usually one third, the, the, the finding of cumulative disability, one third the petitioner's exam. Also, the floor for a petitioner's exam is really 20 or 22 and a half percent disability. I mean, that's where you start on their exams. So these doctors are very used to sort of uh, inflating all, all of the complaints the person's giving them and then using that to justify their opinion of overall total disability. Well, by the time you're getting to resolution of a case, and particularly by way of settlement, uh, both parties have come somewhere in the middle. You know, their, their exam says they're 50% disabled, ours says they're 3% disabled, and maybe you're settling the case at 15% permanent partial disability. Just throwing out numbers here. 
in order for that settlement to be approved by the workers' compensation law judge, they go on the record and they have to explain, yes, judge, these are my complaints, and yes, I can barely walk, and it's a miracle that I can even get out of bed in the morning, and and no, I can't play the concert piano anymore. Things they're going to say. Well, we think that the best use of that time, that opportunity, is to really draw out as much testimony as you can from the claimant when they're there at that original settlement hearing to confirm every single complaint, issue, concern, condition, illness, limitation, and impairment that they place in their own IME report, their own plaintiff's medical examination. And again, these are going to be over-the-top complaints but you get them on the record to repeat them. You know, Again, the ankle sprain who says, I can barely walk, I can only walk a mile, I can't go up and down stairs, I can't even lift, it's a miracle I even drove here today. You know, They, they really stretch these things out and make them quite big. Well, guess what? Uh, if you can get them to confirm all of those over-the-top complaints and really, they're, they're exaggerated complaints, let's be very frank, when they try to reopen the case and they say, okay, it's two years later and now I'm coming back for my second bite at the apple, you're going to use the transcript from that proceeding, okay, uh, to attack their credibility now. And you're going to say, well, two years ago you're here, you're saying you could barely walk, and you could no longer play soccer with your kids, and you could no longer play the piano, you couldn't walk up a flight of stairs, and now you're saying the same thing. In other words, you were so over the top back then, and it justified that award. What's changed? And so often this is a very effective way of reducing your exposure to future reopeners. It's just really locking them into the statements that they gave to their own evaluating physician back in the past to confirm that, hey, you know, their condition hasn't really gotten any worse. How could it get worse than what they were telling you back then? Uh, so this is really about protecting the record and proactive defensive lawyering. This is really making sure that we're bringing this out, okay? So that's tactic one, and this is very useful. You're getting your own IME anyway. You're gonna get their copy of their medical examination anyway. Why not just use it? Okay. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't require any additional work or effort. I'm being told now that my webcam switched uh, strangely. Hmm. What happened here? Let me just fix this real quick. Okay. Boop, doop, doop. I'm going to play you some hold music. Do, 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 do. Here it comes. There we go. Fixed. Thank you. I wouldn't know what to do. Oh, it messed up again. Something's jiggling the wires over here. <laughs> Something's definitely jiggling the wires. So when we when we switch this back, don't move anything. All right. Uh, someone definitely stepped on a wire at some point. It might have been me. Okay. It screwed up. It keeps going back to that one over there. Okay. We got two cameras here. One's working great. One's not working so great. It's okay. Uh, tactic two, discovery and litigation. Uh, first, you're allowed discovery in these workers' comp reopener cases. Um, utilize it. Uh, we should be doing investigation as well. We should be going after their current work status. Um, what, what does that mean? Hey, this person uh, recovered an award for 20% scheduled loss of use of the hand. They've returned to work for this. They're back in our workplace. Shouldn't we be uh, asking the location, hey, are they working in an accommodative matter? Do they have a helper or something? Have you gotten them some sort of assistive device? Uh, but if you determine that, no, they're, they're doing the exact same job, they're doing it in an unimpaired manner, uh, they don't seem to be needing anybody to help them do this, uh, is this, how disabling is this, really? Uh, and the answer is often, the, that is, can be the best um, information we're gonna have uh, that's going to enable us to um, 
defend the case in the most effective way possible. So again, investigation incurring about their current work status. Uh, okay, rely on the burden of proofs. And remember, you have the opportunity to try these things. So you can get this person to come back in and retestify. And this is a great opportunity, particularly if they still work for us in our location, that we're able to impeach or attack their credibility. If they come on the stand and they say, Judge, I can barely walk, I can't do my, the same job, I've had to modify my job, and you have the supervisor come in and say, nope, they're doing the same job they were doing before, Judge, before they got this 20% schedule loss of use in the hand, and by the way, Judge, they're actually asking me for overtime, or maybe the, the job has become even more uh, 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 burdensome for them, uh, you know, I think that's a good argument to make. And we particularly see this in the context of the uh, governmental employees. We see this in the context of police officers who have accumulated 12 or 15 workers' comp cases over the course of their 20-year career, and they keep obtaining all these scheduled loss of uses, and you keep saying, like, how is this possible? Uh, they keep coming back to work at the same place, uh, but they allegedly are so disabled. So, you know, again, these things are subject to being litigated completely before the judge of compensation, and uh, you can try to uh, uh, force them to testify, and at least maybe you can't shut down this reopener, but you can definitely shut down the next one. All right, third tactic, and this one's a little out of the box, but we've seen this actually work. So oftentimes, uh, our adversaries know uh, when they settle a workers' comp case that they're gonna come back to the trough again, right? They're gonna let it, ride for a year or two, and then they're going to get back in contact with their client, and then they're going to try this all again, okay? That's why we don't like Section 22, Order Approving Settlement. That's why we like Section 20s. A Section 20, once you pay this person, they go away forever, and they never come back, and it's really wonderful in that respect. It cannot be reopened. So what if, the, when, we, when we go to resolve the underlying case, uh, we tell them, listen, uh, we don't want to do a Section 22, Order Approving Settlement we would much rather pay you a lot more money on a section 20. And really what we're doing is we're calculating in the reopener value of the case, plus all the time and effort that's gonna be resolved, um, plus uh, the cost of litigating it, plus the cost of coming back, right? So from our perspective, what we're trying to do here uh, is consider the idea that, hey, what if we, uh, build in a little extra money into the order approving settlement. Hey, we settled the case for 17 and a half, which would be worth $35,000 to you. But what if I give you $40,000 on a section 20 to go away and never come back? And so you're sort of paying it up front. You're sort of front loading. And this could be very useful, particularly for the self-insured uh, who maybe want to avoid cost in a future year. This could be useful for a carrier who has no relationship with the insured and really can't control this person. The only barrier to doing this, in my opinion, is A, judges don't like to do it. They don't like cases to resolve on a full and final, quote, the first time. So you got to work through that judicial bias. Um, and of course, they're going to be foregoing future medical care. So that's something that we need to maybe um, uh, work into that resolution. But paying it up front or sort of offering them a little more than the case is worth now to avoid the reopener in the future, that's definitely something that should be going into your calculations as you consider resolving the case. All right, uh, let's go into some questions and answers. I hope there are some questions. If you haven't typed yours in yet, type it in now because this really is the part that makes this the most fun. So let's see if we have any questions. Okay, Susan asked a great question. Uh, Greg, since any appeal in New Jersey goes to the appellate division, does any appeal decision create citable case law? All right, so great question. And here's why this is a good question. First, 
judges of compensation are administrative judges, right? They are not constitutional judges. And what that means is they can't throw you in jail, they can't hold you in contempt, they can't marry you, and they can't divorce you, okay? They don't have those constitutional powers. They only have authority over workers' compensation cases. And for that reason, judges of compensation that make a decision in a workers' comp case, that decision is unique to that case, and it's not really binding or precedent for other workers' compensation judges. Yeah, they can refer to it, and yeah, they can respect it, or yeah, they can know about it, but they're never gonna cite to it. It's not what we consider precedential or authoritative case law. It's the decision of a judge of compensation. Once the case gets appealed to the appellate division, the appellate division rules on an issue. Yes, the determination of the appellate division can be authority, can be precedent, and can be case law that then will be cited on and relied on uh, when we are uh, resolving cases before the Division of Workers' Compensation. But there's just one little hitch, it's a little bit um, interesting to New Jersey. Appellate decisions are both, are either published or unpublished. And generally that just means uh, the appellate division thought, hey, this case is uh, important, it is going to change precedent, or we are explaining or instructing on case law. And so we demand that this decision get placed into the formal register of citable case law. Okay, so that's called a published decision. And yes, uh, those are formally bound into law books. They are cited through services such as Lexis or, or Westlaw, which index all decisions. Absolutely, a published decision is always authority. It is always precedent uh, for the uh, determination that it's um, come to. Unpublished decisions of the appellate division, yeah, we can cite to them, but everybody understands that, hey, the appellate division really didn't intend for this to become uh, the binding precedent, but they certainly can be cited to, uh, but it's understood that the appellate division did not intend them to be. So it's a weird, slight distinction. Also interesting uh, is that even unpublished decisions are published, meaning that they are available to us in either Westlaw or LexisNexis or any other published legal database of all decisions. And we look at unpublished decisions and published decisions uh, at any time that we're researching a case. We don't really say, I only want to see published. We look at them all on, on that specific issue. So uh, the answer is that yes, um, a decision of the appellate division, particularly if published, does become citable precedential case law. And um, will be cited in the future and has to be relied upon by the workers' comp judges. All right, I don't see any other questions, so thank you, Susan, for that question. Uh, join me next month on March 22nd. Uh, we're gonna talk about total disability claims, so we're gonna be talking about the highest exposure claims that you're gonna see in New Jersey. They're always total disability or death claims. We're gonna be talking about them. We're gonna be talking about um, techniques to reduce exposure in those claims, and I'm gonna be talking about techniques to get the second injury fund involved. New Jersey still has an active and open second injury fund, uh, which is contributing in total disability cases where there has been any prior condition, including non-work related conditions. And so for that reason, it is important to consider their contribution and their responsibility uh, should you have to be faced with a total disability case, which I hope you never are. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Just a quick reminder of our monthly schedule. It's every Monday. We have a different webinar led by someone different. It should be a lot of fun. And I lost my camera again. There we go. Um, thanks for joining me today. And I promise next time you come back, we'll have the camera issues resolved. <laughs> okay, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.